This is a special broadcast of Socolo, a cultural forum for the new LA. Socolo, which means public square in Spanish, is dedicated to fostering greater intellectual and cultural fellowship across ethnic, racial, and partisan lines. Tonight's program features KPCC's Larry Mantle in conversation with Michael Kinsley, the editorial and opinion editor of the Los Angeles Times. A pioneering writer and editor known for his incisive logic and cutting wit, Kinsley has found success in the worlds of cyber, television, and print journalism. This wide-ranging interview took place in September of this year. Sokolo is proud to present an evening with Michael Kinsley and Larry Mantle. Thank you so much, Gregory Rodriguez, for the wonderful things you're doing with Socolo here in Los Angeles. I'm Larry Mantle of KPCC and host of Air Talk. I think we're going to have a lot of fun tonight in our conversation with Michael Kinsley, editorial and opinion editor of the Los Angeles Times. Michael Kinsley took the position uh, just uh, about two and a half months ago. This followed a number of years in which he was at Slate Magazine online. He was the founding editor of Slate and served served in that position for six years. More recently, he was a columnist for Slate Magazine. He also wrote for the Washington Post. He was a contributing writer for Time Magazine, where you could see his work. And before that, editor of both The New Republic and Harper's Magazine. He had two stints, I believe, as editor of The New Republic, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, about a week and a half as editor of Harper's. Yeah, a week and a half yeah. as editor of yeah. Harper's. Yeah. You and Mr. Lapham got along very well. Um, and <laughs> I, I met him when he handed the men's room key to me, and then when I left it for him, I just left it in a drawer. So, so <laughs> that I, tells you something. Yeah, I met him once. Okay. And uh, Michael Kinsley, very familiar face to many of you because of his numerous television appearances, uh, including co-host of CNN's Crossfire for a number of years. So Michael Kinsley, the editorial and opinion editor of the Los Angeles Times. Let's start first of all with what you're being asked to do. When you were offered this job by the Los Angeles Times, what did they say they wanted of the op-ed pages? Um, I actually, the opinion editor, which is my title, is responsible for the op-ed page, the editorial page itself, and the, the Sunday section, which is currently called opinion. And what they want is, is liveliness, I think, mainly. Uh, they, I have a clearer idea of what they want than I think they, they do, which, which is how it should be. Um, you know, the management uh, delegates to me, and I delegate um, further down. And and um, I'm 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 vague in my way about the responsibilities of of, of, of the people who work for me. So that's uh, that's cool. And um, I what I want is to create an opinion section or these sections that are informative and help people to understand the world. Because I think just offering opinions isn't really offering enough. There, there's too many opinions flying around already. And, um, and What do you mean by that? What, what is there to op-ed pages beyond opinions? Well, uh, let's take editorials, because uh, they're, they're the, actually the toughest nut. I don't know if anyone, do people here read the editorial page? Uh, well, th this, is, this is a highly selected group, and I would say... About, These are the 150. Yeah. 
I would say it looked to me like about half read the editorial page. And it's a pity because there are very smart people working very hard there, and, and they do a good job. And, and I hope they'll do an even better job. A good editorial should enable someone to disagree with it. I think that's the simplest way to put it. Editorial writers are, and opinion writers in general, um, are, are privileged compared to reporters in several ways. Uh, mainly, they can express an opinion, and, but also they can, they can declare facts as given without citing a source and quote, quoting someone. They can say, Los Angeles is in the state of California. They don't have to say, according to many informed sources, <laughs> Los Angeles is in the state of California. Kevin Starr, historian of California, said, yesterday in an interview that Los Angeles has always been part of California <laughs> and and you know you waste a lot of space that way because the conventions of news writing and editorials can skip all that that's a privilege what we owe in 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 exchange for that privilege is intellectual honesty you, you know opinions that 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 derive from from facts that, that follow one, one another in a logical way and that, that, that are coherent with other opinions you've expressed and, and add up to uh, a piece, if you're talking about one editorial, that, that, that educates people about an issue and enables them to, to disagree with the editorial itself in an informed, intelligent way. Well, I think that's an important point. So what you're saying is that the the editorials are transparent enough in what the points of argument are that someone reading it can sit down and say, well, I disagree with that premise from which the conclusion was driven, or I agree with the premise, but I think the conclusion is... Uh, the, there, there's something for you to grab a toehold on. Yeah, transparent is a great word, Larry. That, that, that really is it. Now, the op-ed page publishes signed pieces, and in that, that, that's a little easier because, you know, a signed piece can have a little personality and, and can have some fun and, and can, can be discursive, doesn't even have to have an opinion necessarily. And, but, but I think that, that to the extent it is opinion, it has the same responsibility for, for, for intellectual honesty, which to me is the equivalent in an opinion piece of factual accuracy in, in, in a news story. In the almost 20 years that I've been hosting Air Talk, I can't remember a time in, in this relatively brief history where the country has been as polarized as it is today. I'm sure there have been many times throughout the course of American history where we, we've been in similar places or maybe even more polarized. But does that particular zeitgeist change how editorial or opinion articles are presented or written? Or does that change the obligation under which you work? Um, I think it, it makes good editorials more valuable, uh, but I don't think enough people realize that yet. Um, gosh, I was watching uh, just earlier this evening George Bush, the elder, being interviewed uh, by Hannity and Combs on Fox TV and making the complaint you were just making, Larry, that things are more polarized than ever. And, and, and they, meaning the Democrats, are, are being more poisonous than he can ever remember. And, 
And I thought, uh, you know, what does it take? He's, he, um, I mean, I remember 1988, and that to me, we haven't quite sunk to that level yet in this campaign, although um, I'll have to see when I get home. And I guess I'm thinking more of the public than the campaign itself, that the nation as a whole, there are very few undecided Americans at this point. People have very strong opinions. Um, yeah, but a, a lot of them seem, seem to be uh, changing them. Uh, so actually, William Sapphire had a column this morning taking that on and saying there are more undecided people than, 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 than the polls showed. And it was sort of a good point. You know, a pollster knocks on your door, he's car carrying a clipboard or, or calls up, and you sort of feel it's unpatriotic not to have an opinion. Um, uh, it amazes me that so few people don't give the correct answer to these pollsters, which is don't know. Yeah, um, yeah but who wants to be seen, as you say, as indecisive yeah. or uninformed? How do you, you see the, the uh, editorial obligation as someone who's editing the opinion page to in some way balance out either the kinds of topics that signed uh, opinion pieces are covering, or the perspectives of those writers. How, is a lot of this acting from your gut? Is more of it trying to find a formula for balance? How do you do it? Um, actually, the editorial, yeah, I think, uh, with all respect, you, you, you've got it backwards. The editorial page should take a strong and coherent ideological, I know you're not, that everyone's supposed to be against ideology, line, ideological in the sense that you have a framework of, of values which, which, to which you fit everything, if possible, that you say, so that your position on should immigra illegal immigrants get driver's licenses, to take a current issue here, fits with your views on immigration in general and your views on trade and 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 supplies a coherent worldview that that adds to the to the interest of any particular editorial and the ability of people to use it to either agree or disagree the op-ed page should have opinions all over the lot most of them i think against um what you say in the editorial page it is to some extent a place for the opposite view. So and in the LA Times, that means we'd be seeing many more conservative op-ed pieces to balance out the more liberal editorial positions. Um, yes, I think so. And, and we have a, we have a c conservative cartoonist who generates more, uh, <laughs> who, who generates more, more mail than, than, than anyone. <laughs> and, uh, Michael, let's continue talking a bit about what the mission of editorial pages and opinion pages are. Uh, as you choose the op-ed pieces particularly that are going to be counterbalancing, as you said, the newspaper's perspective that comes through in its own editorials, do you feel like every piece that you're looking at or, or, or people on your staff are looking at have to in some way be compelling to you even though it may be diametrically opposed to your point of view? Um, well, if you're asking, should every piece be one I want to read, um, yes. Uh, so there's some kind of a truth in it or something compelling that makes you 
yeah, want to pay attention to. I, I would hope that that even though most of, or certainly many of the pieces we publish in the op-ed page are ones that I disagree with, they would be ones that, that, that I found interesting and these qualities of intellectual honesty. I mean, in my view, people who disagree with me have a harder time with intellectual honesty than I have. <laughs> but, of but, 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 I, but uh, you know, that, that, may be, uh, that may be misguided, and at any rate, it certainly is possible. Um, I'm wondering about the editorials that you were mentioning that should have a consistent Los Angeles Times position, if you will, to what those editorials mm -hmm. are. Does it make any sense for the Times to explicitly lay out what that is, a kind of platform, if you will, what this newspaper believes. Um, actually, thanks for the plug, Larry. We are, we are going to do that. We probably won't do it till after the election because it's sort of, sort of ambitious. But I want, and, and I think everybody else is, is, is game, to publish a series of editorials that take up the full page and are this framework, you know, on trade, on immigration, outsourcing, health care, um, foreign policy issues uh, of, of a similar sort, that, that will be a frame of reference and uh, we'll keep them on the web, on the website, latimes.com, and, and refer to them in the editorial for precisely that reason. And I'm thinking of something that, that might even be more philosophically general than that, that lays out, for example, well, what should the role of government be? What is the individual versus society? Some of these larger issues that underlie people's political perspectives. Because I think if you dig deep into, well, why are people conservative? Why are people liberal? Why are they moderate? Much of it has to do with these underlying kinds of premises that then lead them to make decisions on particular issues. You know, it's amazing you should say that because, because I, was, uh, I was talking to the publisher, John Perner, uh, about a month ago, and he said, you know, it would be really useful to have have a, 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 a note from you about what the role of government should be in society. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll dash something off. And, <laughs> and, um, and it, it, I, I did dash something off, which I sent to him, and no one else is going to see it, because it, it, it was a little embarrassing. But I hope something will come of that, you know. I'll, uh, because you're right, that would be very useful. And then people could hold us to it. Earlier, you were indicating that the editorial or op-ed pages don't seem to be as widely read as, as you would ideally like, or you think equaling their importance. What kind of impact do you think potentially editorial and op-ed pages could have on the national or local political debates? Well, what you want is to reduce a politician to tears when he, <laughs> when, when he reads or she reads a criticism, not of them personally, but of, 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 of the very essence of, of their reason for existence as a politician. <laughs> um, that, 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 would be, that would be the ideal. Short of that, we would like to be constructive. Um, <laughs> and and um, locally, it, 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 is, it is possible, and I think the Los Angeles Times is influential in, in Los Angeles and in California, and I hope influential for, for the good. As someone who has worked so extensively in print journalism, even in, in the new form of online uh, magazine publishing, your years that you spent in CNN, in cable news, 
As you look at all the different news choices that people have at this point, what do you see each of these kinds of, of markets as serving or modes of delivery as serving? Well, um, that, that's a good question. It's a bit complicated. Um, CNN, I mean, Crossfire, I, you know, I, I, people tried to put me on the defensive about doing that. and, and Didn't uh, you create the show? No, no, no. no I'm no, kidding. No. That's a joke. <laughs> uh, um, it, it was there, but no one, no one pointed a gun at my head and made me do it. Um, in a democracy, the debate uh, is conducted on several levels, and I worked for two decades for the New Republic, which conducts the debate, sometimes in its own pages, uh, on a rather high level. But you can't, um, and there needs to be the New Republic, and there needs to be editorial page, there need to be editorial pages, but there is a role for, for a show like Crossfire. Is it sort of political porn? or how, Well, no, no. I, I, well, I thought at least I tried when I was doing it to make intellectually honest arguments, but they weren't of, of, of the complexity of what you can say in print. And, and I think the role of, role of print, the editorial page, uh, the political magazines, is to make more complicated and sophisticated arguments for people who are interested in them. And because you need b the whole spectrum for, for a vibrant democracy. And, um, you know, that's, that's what we try to do. How do you characterize your politics? Everybody gets labeled from someone else, but if you were to slap a label on yourself, what would it be? Um, unreliably left of center. Uh, <laughs> I, I, In which areas are you less reliable? Um, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, basically anything to do with free markets. I'm, I'm very pro-free trade and, and skeptical about the arguments against outsourcing. And my, actually this, this thing about the government that, that I, I wrote and, and, and then hid, um, <laughs> was trying to articulate the basic idea that, that what we want is to let capitalism work because what you want from government and society is to produce as much stuff as you can and spread it around as fairly as you can. And, and capitalism is very good at the first, not so good at the second. And, and, and my general vision, if that's not too pompous, is, is, is of a society where you don't get in the way of, 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 of capitalism you get in the way as little as possible to let it do its thing, but you also mitigate the results. Well, I at the risk of oversimplifying, it's huh. often observed you, See that if you can oversimplify <laughs> more than I just did. Oh, I can, I'm sure I can do yeah. it. That's the job of a talk show host. Um, if, if you say that conservatives see the free market as, as the answer to virtually every societal ill, and that uh, liberals see you know, government as, as the solution, is for you the answer in a kind of dramatic tension between the two? Um, well, that, that sounds pretty good. But, uh, <laughs> y you know, 
I mean, look at, look at the, plat the Republican platform and look at George Bush's acceptance speech. My gosh, there was a list of government, uh, government interventions in the economy that went on and on. And, you know, if I was dictator, uh, a lot of that w would not happen. I don't think we should subsidize small businesses. Small businesses are owned by, by people who are generally wealthier than the people who own big businesses. Big businesses are owned by pension funds for working people, by and large. So, you know, there's all sorts of, of, of unconsidered or inadequately considered um, government intervention going on that, that is not liberal by any means. As you look forward to the remaining almost two months of the presidential election, what do you think we're going to see? Um, well, uh, I, I, um, I think I would, I'm put, I, I would put my money, unfortunately, in my opinion, on, on George Bush um, because, uh, because if they can make, make a Kerry's military service an issue, um, I don't know what they can't do. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, I mean, leaving aside the rights and wrongs of it, um, which I don't really care to do, um, it, 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 is, um, it is an amazing uh, machine, political machine, the, the, uh, the conservatives and Republicans. Uh, I, well, what is it going to take, in your view, for uh, the Democratic challenger to be able to respond to the issues raised by Republicans, as well as to, to more effectively get to the message he wants to convey? Well, um, He's been talking, uh, if you read the paper today, to, to, to President Clinton on, on his hospital bed. Ninety minutes right yeah. after he said yeah, it, and, and certainly I would take Clinton's advice before I would take mine. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, you've got you to gotta be a little fair to him. He's caught in a trap. If, if, if he, if he, if he, people were saying you, you can't let those attacks lie there, you got to get out there and fight. But then, you know, people also say, if he'd done that, people would have said, you shouldn't be fighting on their turf, you should be fighting on your own turf. So he really can't win. Um, I mean, it, I'm sure to this, to this audience and to me, people who aren't really involved in the campaigns, it must be, I find it incredibly frustrating, and I'm sure you do too, and I would love it viscerally if Kerry, if he was capable of it, would get out there and call them all names and, 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 and really, um, you know. And you think that would work? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can make think, you feel better. Yeah, yeah, he's got my vote probably, so uh, he shouldn't waste a lot of time making me happy. Michael Kinsley with us. He is the editorial and opinion editor of the Los Angeles Times, joining us not only on 89.3, but at Socolo, a series of forums here at the Los Angeles Public Library, uh, Central Library in the uh, Mark Taper Auditorium. Chance to hear from people who have important things to say about Los Angeles and, of course, in our conversation today about what's happening nationally as well. Let's talk a bit about local issues because you are living both in Los Angeles and in Seattle, at least last I heard. And I, last I heard. Too. Okay, good. Yeah. So you, you haven't heard anything differently. What, 
what are you going to do to, particularly with a mayor's race uh, coming up early next year, to try and really get inside what's going on in Los Angeles when, you know, right now, at least through November 2nd, everything is nationally oriented? Well, um, Gregory Rodriguez, who's our host this evening, is helping me to get to know Los Angeles a bit. Um, the reason I have this peculiar title, Opinion and Editorial, whatever my title is, Editor. I can't even remember, um, is that there is a, we have, we have announced the appointment of an editorial page editor who will be responsible for the editorial page. And, and the reason they did that is because they're, they're letting me live half-time in, in Seattle. And, and that was a great um, gesture on their part to me because I couldn't have done it otherwise. But, you know, they, they, they recognized and I recognized that that does mean that, that I can't um, sort of steep myself in Los Angeles to the extent I would like. Now, your wife is the is the director of the Bill and Melinda Gates yeah, Foundation. My wife, Patty Stonecipher, is the president, president. Of, of of the Gates Foundation. That's not a job that you can find in another city. She can't just do that out yeah, of L.A. Yeah. So uh, so uh, basically, um, the, Seattle was a given. Uh, but how are you? How are you going to uh, be on talking with Angelinos about what's important in the city? Um, how how do you make the editorial pages of the paper even more compelling for people who are hungry to really know what's happening in in such a spread out community where someone living in Huntington Beach may not know anything about what's happening in Arleta? Um, well, you you got to get good writers who can bring bring these these local communities alive, and you know we're trying to do what you said, Larry, and we're also trying to to reflect more national issues because we want uh, to be to be more of a player on the national scene. That may sound egomaniacal, but but we do, and I think. It's good for Los Angeles if we achieve that. So one of the things we're trying to do is look for issues where Los Angeles is on the cutting edge. Now, it can be the cutting edge of the problem or the cutting edge of the solution. Um, we'll take either one. And, and, and there, there, are, there are a lot of them, you know, immigration being, being a classic. And we want to be the definitive place where the whole country will come for smart analysis and commentary and opinion on these subjects because they're subjects in which California is learning a lot. Well, and immigration a particularly tough issue because you often have arguments that are made that seem to be devoid of concern for actual people who are immigrants, other arguments that are very passionate and heartfelt but don't necessarily take into account the economic factors, mm -hmm. the nuts and bolts. By so I mean this, this is an issue where anything you take on with immigration goes off in three other la uh, places at the same time. It's absolutely true. It's probably the hardest issue on which, I mean, it's a great issue that you can write fascinating things, but it's the hardest issue that I know of to have this kind of coherent framework that we want. But I do think that, that if anyone in the universe should have such a coher coherent position on it, it is the Los Angeles Times because we are the newspaper of the community which faces it 
most directly, and at the same time, we don't actually have to do what we say, unlike the government. <laughs> so, so those two factors mean that we ought to have the, def uh, the definitive, or certainly a definitive position on immigration. And we don't, but we will. I want to allow you a chance to ask questions of Michael. Yes, ma'am. What's your favorite L.A. moment? Everybody has those. Um, well, th this will, uh, gosh, th I, I haven't been here long enough to really have, I'm sure I can do better than this, but um, I, uh, I was, I got this apartment here and I was, uh, with my wife, was putting it together and I was looking for a Costco and I found one in a place called um, Bell, uh, no. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh yes. Monte oh, yes. The famous Costco in Bel Air. No. Yes. <laughs> Montebello. Montebello. And and it it was it was it was sort of late in in an August evening and the sun, very California sun, very different from Seattle. Well, the fact that it's there is different from Seattle. <laughs> But, but this was, you know, it was on Brown Hills, and there was this really wonderful Costco on top of a, of, of a Montebello, a beautiful mountain. I think and that's built on the side of a landfill, as a matter of fact. Oh, great. Well, well, anyway, I thought, you know, I can stand on this mountain and see those, those, those brown hills and, and, and buy uh, 36 rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> and and, and that, was, that was my Los Angeles moment, I'm sorry. Michael Kinsley, thank you very much for being with us, not only on AirTalk on 89.3, but at Zocalo as well. Thanks, Larry. You've been listening to a special presentation of Zocalo. Michael Kinsley in conversation with KPCC's Larry Mantle. The Los Angeles Public Library and Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new L.A., present this monthly lecture series. Zocalo, which means public square in Spanish, is a nonpartisan, multi-ethnic forum providing an opportunity for intellectual fellowship in Southern California. Sponsored by 89.3 KPCC, the Los Angeles Times, and the Latino Weekly, Zocalo is made possible by the Library Foundation of Los Angeles. For more information or to listen to past shows, please visit our website, SocoloLA.org. Thanks for joining us.